Today's message is part four in our series on creation, where we talk about day four of creation, when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. You can go in your Bible or look it up online and read all about it in Genesis 1. It's the first chapter of the Bible. And today, our senior pastor, McGray de Vega, is going to be talking about how God's creation of the sun, moon, and stars can teach us three things. How God is infinite, how God is intimate, and how God is incarnate. And I think we know all of these things intrinsically, whether we're a Christ follower or not. We've looked up at the stars and we've thought, gosh, there is something massive and infinite and beyond me out there. And then we also feel that sometimes that there's something intimate when we look at the stars and we realize we somehow came of this stardust. We are created by this stuff that is in the sky above us and God is incarnate. Sometimes when things are really hard, maybe we sense that God or some presence is right there with us, close at hand even in the vast expanse of this universe. So stick around for this message. I think you're gonna enjoy it. Let's pray together. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, and humility, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others, toward ourselves, and toward your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was about 10 years old, my parents bought me a telescope. It was a great gift. It was your standard tube telescope, about four feet long, with an eyepiece on one end that sat on a tripod. My brothers and I waited for the first clear night to set it up on our driveway, and we aimed it toward the moon. It took some adjusting and repositioning, and then we found the moon in our sights. To the naked eye, the moon was just a small white circle in the sky. But when we looked at it through that telescope, it was a slightly bigger small white circle in the sky. But it was thrilling, because for a moment we felt like our grasp had caught up just a bit with our gaze. After several nights of playing with our telescope, our neighbor stopped by. His name was Harold Bird, one of my favorite adults growing up. He was my go-to pal before my younger brothers were born. He and I would sit on his front porch and pretend to go fishing with a couple of sticks we found in his yard. My, my parents would cook him dinner and I would bring it over. He was a lovely man. Mr. Bird walked over to us that night and he said, good evening, boys. You enjoying that telescope? Yeah, we said, of course. Well, he said, maybe you fellas could come over and help me fetch something out of my garage. We walked across the street to his garage and he removed a tarp to reveal what was the largest telescope any of us had ever seen. It was about seven feet tall. It was a Dobsonian reflector telescope. It had a giant tube of a body bigger than any of us. And rather than an eyepiece on one end, it had a large set of mirrors that gathered a huge amount of light and focused it on an ocular eyepiece on the side. It was made of a heavy metal with a long counterweight of a handle to make incremental adjustments. We rolled it carefully to our driveway and we watched him tinker with it. He looked in the eyepiece and he repositioned it, turned a knob or two. Then he said, there, take a look. When I looked into that eyepiece, suddenly, that small white dot became alive. The moon had hues of grays and blues that I could not imagine were there. 
I saw craters and mountains and divots and valleys, images that I'd only seen in pictures and books, now before me with my naked eye. That was in the early 80s. And just think about what you and I have seen in our universe since then. We've had satellites pass planets and moons to give us an up-close look at celestial bodies in our own solar system that we've only dreamed of seeing. In 1990, the, the vaunted Hubble telescope began to show us pictures of the vast expanse of space reaching further than we ever have. And think about what a privilege, what an extraordinary privilege it is to be alive during the era of the James Webb Telescope. Launched on Christmas Day, 2021, it began showing us images last July of outer space using infrared wavelengths of light that bring us greater resolution and clarity than Hubble ever could. And it not only has extended our gaze into the vastness of space, it's extended our reach into the origins of our universe's 13.8 billion year history, back to a mere 400 million years after it was born. It'd be like watching a video of me when I was just 18 months old in human terms. And, and we get the sense that space technology is just getting started. Who knows what you and I will see in our lifetimes? the ability to step foot on Mars, the presence of life on other planets, or, or even a sense of just how big this ever-expanding universe really is. Of the days of creation, it is here on day four that we are most curious and where we most recognize the limits of our understanding. Some of the questions we have are interpretive, about how the Genesis story is constructed. I mean, how can light be created on day one if the sun was not created until day four? How can there be a morning and an evening on day one if there was no sun and moon until the fourth day to define them? And that's when we go back to a refrain that ought to be familiar to us by now. The book of Genesis is not meant to be a science textbook that tells us how creation happened. It is a theology book that tells us who did the creating and why. So here on day four, we would best remember that the ancient Israelites, what they most wanted to remember about God was this. They wanted to remind themselves and all the surrounding nations that their God was the source of all life, even greater than the gods that the other empires worshiped. Because every major civilization had gods of the sun and moon. The Egyptians, Hittites, and Greeks had sun gods named Ra, Arena, and Helios. They had moon gods like Khonsu, Arma, Artemis. But for the ancient Israelites, there was only one god, the true god whose primary role in creation was to do one thing since day one, to bring order out of chaos, to create a sense of predictability and reliability to the unpredictability of the world. And nothing conveyed order and predictability than the movement of the stars and the planets. Ancient mariners used them to chart their course at sea. Cultures have used it to chronicle the passage of time and define months and years. Religious traditions, including our own, 
have used the predictability of celestial bodies to set the schedule for holy days and other observances. In a world filled with such unpredictability, we have turned to the cosmos to set our bearings with the belief that God is ordering our time. It's one of the many ways that we have fused the pursuit of reason with the pursuit of faith to bring order to our lives. In his marvelous book, Fundamentals, 10 Keys to Reality, Nobel Prize winner Frank Wilczek wrote this, in studying how the world works, we're studying how God works and thereby learning what God is. So it leads us to this question. What does this fourth day of creation tell us about who God is? I think of three words. The first is infinite. God is infinite. Pondering the vastness of the universe fills us with a, a mind-blowing sense of infinity, doesn't it? I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine what is at the edge of the universe or beyond, because as big as the universe is, it continues to expand. Even light waves emitted from the stars are expanding into an infrared wavelength beyond the naked eye. I mean, that's the whole premise of the James Webb Telescope. But as powerful as it is, we can only see a portion of a universe that some have estimated to be 93 billion light years wide. Our minds can't grasp a size that big. But here's something else that is equally mind-blowing. There's not only a sense of the infinite when we look out, there's also an infinity when we look within. In that same book, Fundamentals, Frank Wilczek writes that as hard as it is to imagine the number of stars in the universe, there are even more atoms in the human body. It's 10 octillion, which is 10 followed by 38 zeros. And that's what's inside you. It's what makes up who you are, a collection of protons and neutrons and electrons, literally a universe inside you. And, and just like there's a limit to what we can see beyond the edge of space, there's a limit to what we can see inside the atom. The further down we look, we get into the vast, unknown, unpredictability of, of quarks and Higgs boson particles and quantum mechanics and a, and a reality that is infinitely small and unknowable. So whether we ponder the universe through Galileo's telescope or ponder the infinitesimal through Anton van Leeuwenhoek's microscope, we reach the limits of our understanding. And either way, a sense of the infinite offers this gift to us, a sense of wonder and awe and an embrace of the mysteries of the world beyond our comprehension. The second word that comes to mind about God on day four of creation is this, intimate. As vast as the universe is out there, and within you, here's something to remember. We are all intimately connected in this grand cosmos. You want to know what four of the top elements are that make up the universe? Four of the top elements are nitrogen, carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen, which is by far the most plentiful element. Now, do you want to know what the top four elements are that make up your body? Yep exact same ones, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and hydrogen.
What that means is that the very material that makes up your body are the same building blocks that God used to create the furthest planets and stars in the edge of the universe. The very atoms that were created 13.8 billion years ago are part of your body right now. No wonder you feel old. We are made up of the stuff of the stars. You and I are stardust. Here's something else. The very oxygen molecules that you are breathing right now have been around since the time of the dinosaurs. The nitrogen molecule that may be in your blood, it may have arrived from a star millions of years ago from a distant planet. This is all to say that as infinite and daunting as the universe is, there is an intimacy in knowing that you and I are connected by the same material, governed by the same forces of gravity and electromagnetism, and created by the same God. The infinity of the universe might make us feel small, but the intimacy of its materials helps us not feel so alone. And that leads us to the final word about God from day four of creation. The word is incarnate. Throughout history, many religious philosophers believed in the idea of deism, which is that God is nothing more than an impersonal clockmaker who set forth the mechanics of creation and stepped away from it to leave it on its own. But as Christian people, we believe that God is not distant. God is both present and imminent in all things and beyond all things. And we can know God by interacting with this marvelous world. And when God chose to be revealed to us in the most vivid way, you know what God chose to do. God entered this universe as a human being composed of stardust, just like you and me. God showed us through Jesus the infinite glory of God in the most intimate of ways by becoming incarnate to us and to show us how we can be an incarnate sense of love to one another. And this all leads us to the one thing, the one thing that is even more infinite than the stars of the universe or the atoms in your body. It's the capacity and power of love that pulls us together so that we can forge relationships that allow us to experience the wonder and awe and majesty of God's creation with each other. As big as this universe is, we don't have to feel alone. God has given us the gift of each other to enjoy it and to take care of it. After that first night of looking into Mr. Bird's telescope in our driveway, he said something amazing to me and my brothers. He said, boys, why don't you keep this telescope? You can have it. He loved seeing our amazement. He enjoyed the nights when he could walk over and see us using it. Mr. Bird eventually moved to Kentucky and he later died, but we held on to his telescope, cherished it, we used it, and every time we thought of him and the love that we had for him. On this fourth day of creation, God created a universe so infinite and intimate, one meant to be enjoyed and stewarded through the incarnate bonds of human companionship and love. That's what the fourth day of creation calls us to remember. Let's pray. God, we're amazed. Your creation is so vast and infinite, yet you are with us in a deeply personal way. 
We are small in this universe, but we are not alone. We thank you for your love that pulls us together, unites us in love, and calls us to care for your creation. Thank you for the awe and wonder of this amazing universe and for your infinite love for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you found this message helpful, thought-provoking. Maybe if you're not a Christian, but you've always been curious about space or seen some rocket launches or enjoy human spaceflight, maybe this connected with you in a distinct or different way. Or maybe you know somebody who loves human spaceflight, but has never really figured out how to connect all that to who God is and how God might be at work in their lives and in the world. We'd love it if you would share this message with them. It's really easy to do with YouTube. Just copy the link, send it over to them. There's also some reflection questions down in the notes. You can reflect on this sermon and and uh, talk about it with a friend or talk about it with a small group or other people. And if you want to join a small group or find out about our community, you can go to hydeparkumc.org slash next steps. I'm Matt Hotho. I'll see you next time.